Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. In this episode, we hear from multidisciplinary artist India Sky, whose art practice of music, moving image, installation, dance, and performance investigates the invisible forces of ancestry, power, and spirit that shape her experience, and engages radical imagination as a source of transformation, communion, homecoming, liberation, and survival. Her work as a stage and video film director, producer, choreographer, and performer is guided by her passion for world making and her practice of creating and contributing to platforms that uplift black, queer, and femme voices. In our conversation, India shares about the journey in the becoming of her debut album, Somewhere Over the Mystic Moon, which will be available everywhere February 5th, 2023. You'll hear the powerful track Dark Symphony at the end of our conversation, which this episode is also named after. We also chat about how she has activated music and performance throughout her life, how she accesses pole dancing as a conduit between worlds, and holds deep respect for the craft as an endurance practice. We learn of her reverence for the ancestors from the disco era, her foundational work with queer and BIPOC circus artists, and India unpacks how she continues to engage somatic therapy through her art while tending to the vulnerability inherent in performance, while finding joy and empowerment in the work. Our conversation also expands to acknowledging the body as a guide for understanding self, how creativity is a way to connect with a power that is beyond self, and that our perception of the world is our own, In ending our conversation, India shares resources around the African cosmogram, Afro-surrealism, the incredible queer and black femme art and music scene in Oakland, and she gifts a bit of knowledge on how utilizing the moon cycle can act as an accountability mechanism to check into our intentions monthly. India Sky, thank you for being on Broken Boxes. You are a dear old friend of mine, somebody that I look up to, somebody that I admire, and I'm so grateful that finally we get to have this conversation. So thank you. And if you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and maybe what type of work you do and what you're interested in, we can talk a little bit about where you are in this beautiful forest you're sitting in, in, in Oregon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ginger. Um, yeah, likewise, you're definitely someone that I look up to and really admire um, the work that you do, the way that you work, um, and just as you are as a person in the world and with your family. So thank you for having me. And India Sky Davis is my full name, but I go by India Sky. That's the name that my dad gave me, my first name and my middle name, which has its own origin story um, that has been precious to me. So that's the name that I use in art as an artist. I am originally from Seattle, Washington. That's where I grew up. I'm mixed race, Black American. My father is Black American. My mother is white American. And they grew, both grew up in Seattle and had me fairly young, early 20s. Um, they were both artists, really creative uh, yeah, really creative people, really talented people, really smart people, but weren't really artists professionally. So growing up, I didn't really think that art was a viable thing to do as a profession. But as I got older, it kind of seemed like the only thing that 
was, it was like the only choice or like the only thing that I was doing. I think actually when I moved to New Mexico, when I met you was when I was seeing artists that were pursuing art professionally or, or part of families that that was, you know, like something that had been a part of their, you know, like what people did for a living through generations. And that was really inspiring for me to see, because I saw this, I was around peers that were taking it really seriously and also not in this like very white kind of like fine art context, which is I think what I had kind of thought about like what art was growing up. I grew up with a really strong background in performing arts. I guess like really, yeah, I guess really strong. Like I was a theater kid. I was in choir when I was in high school. I love singing. I wanted to be Diana Ross when I grew up um, as a child. Um, And so now fast forward to the present, I mean, there's been like so many things that I've done, but I have a background in um, acrobatic and aerial arts, which has its own history and like trajectory and complications, which I started also when I lived in New Mexico. And I was the artistic director of a queer circus company in Oakland, California, that was uh, very much centered around artists of color. um, and, And in the later years was just exclusively a platform for artists of color, mostly queer Black artists and other artists of queer artists of color. Um, then I also, I'm a filmmaker. I, in, in an artistic sense, although I feel like that's something that I've embraced in my practice more over the past years. And it's something that I'm really excited about growing more in my practice um, going forward. The process of world making in film and the possibilities that that brings. And then I'm also a music artist. I make music and my debut album is coming out um, <laughs> February 5th. And that's exciting. It's five, 10 days before my birthday. And I've literally been working on this album for the past five years. I produced it myself. I wrote everything myself. And I was teaching myself how to make music, how to produce music in the process of making it. So, um, and just yeah, navigating life. So I'm excited that it's finally coming. Yeah. So that's, that's what I can say about me for now. As I'm looking at you on zoom, there's this beautiful, looks like a cedar forest behind you. And where are you at this moment? So I am at an art residency called Caldera, which is in, uh, I guess it's in the foothills of the Cascades in Oregon near Sisters, Oregon. And it's this amazing, beautiful camp. It's actually a summer camp. It's a free summer camp for kids that otherwise might not have access to a lot of art, like opportunities to make art and grow as as artists. And so kids come out here, work with mentors to make art, to learn about art, to grow their practices. Um, And the facilities are gorgeous. I'm staying in this beautiful A-frame cabin. There's four other artists here. Um, So in the wintertime, they also do artists in residency programs, um, which I highly recommend to anyone who's interested. The residency program that I'm on is for BIPOC artists. And then there's also a residency, I think, for mid-career artists that are based in Oregon. Yeah, so I'm here for the next three weeks working on some projects And we are on a caldera, which is a volcano uh, that has erupted. And there's a big lake here and there's volcanic rock everywhere. And there's tons of trees and bald eagles and other animals um, around. So it's really special and it's snowy. 
I just kind of want to dip in really quick to talking about this album that is coming out on February 5th. You said that you've been working on it for five years. And can you kind of walk us through that journey maybe of like where it started, where you decided that you needed to create this this body of work, this narrative and what it's speaking to and how it feels that it's about to come into the world? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's 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 interesting because I feel like the album has multiple. It has like more than one origin um, story. The oldest one I would say is um, maybe it was five or six years ago. I can't quite remember. I started making music again, which I hadn't done since I was in high school. I I was in choir when I was a kid. I loved singing as a kid. I didn't know how to play any instruments, but I also, when I was in choir, they taught us songwriting. So I started writing my own songs. And I had been living in Oakland, pole dancing, and I was invited to do this performance by a friend of mine. And I devised this performance where I created a song the first half that I sung and then the second half I pole danced to and there's this interactive light bath that a friend of mine made so it's like this light projection I call it the light bath but it's like it reacts to your movement and the song is about love and heartbreak and it and it was just like this performance art piece really but in the process of of making that you know I, I basically made this song called like a wave which is on the album in a transformed like version but that was the starting point and it was around a time when I was making this large theater show and I was working with a musician named Spelling, who's just amazing. I love her work. Um, she's also based in the Bay Area. And there was a couple of artists that I'd been talking to, Spelling and then another artist, Lexagon. Um, I went to them and I was just like, hey, I'm interested in making music. And so they helped me a lot. They showed me the equipment that they use. And I like bought the same loop pedal that Spelling had. I bought the same mixer that... Um, Lexicon had the same like uh, keyboard, you know, like I just like got this equipment based off of what they had told me and then just like asked them a little bit about their pro- progress. And I started like using the loop pedal and then using the keyboard. And I think I was maybe working in Ableton at the time. I can't remember, but that was how it started. So that was like origin story number one. And so I would do that piece a lot. And then I started making more music with the loop pedal and then the pull. And I would do loops live, like while I was pole dancing. So it was a very much an embodied practice. And I was like, I want to make an album. I remember as soon as I made that choice, I was like, I want to do music. I want to make an album. Literally, I was in this, I was living in Oakland. I think I had made three songs or something. And I went to, I like didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I was in this, this place, which I feel like I find myself in often, honestly, where I'm just like, I don't really know what's next, but I know I'm like, I want to perform. And I went to this show and I met this artist, Susie Analog. And I was just like, Hey, she's an electric, electronic music artist amazing and I just talked to her after a set and we like went out had a drink and she looked at my Instagram she hadn't heard any of my music and she was like hey why don't you come and open for me um in Miami for Miami Music Week like uh you make music this thing you're doing the poll is like so dope come out and I was like are you kidding me and I was like I got paid so I was like the pay was like the most I'd ever gotten paid for music and you know I just like went to Miami it was just this like beautiful really we were in this really amazing beautiful venue and so that was just like I was like wow this is amazing you know like 
So I was getting, that was like an encouraging thing for me to kind of receive once I had made this intention of like, I want to make an album. And then I think the other thing that I'll say is that when I moved to the UK, I started, I like started making a film and I started writing a song kind of at the same time. And the song was like definitely the core of the film and kind of the concept. And I was thinking a lot about darkness and I started writing the song on the Scorpio new moon. And it was like, I was in this place where I didn't know anybody. I had just moved to a whole other continent that I'd never been to. And I was, I had stayed home that night. I stayed up all night writing this song about darkness. It's called Dark Symphony. It's on the album. And to me, it's kind of like the core, the heart of the album. And once I was finished writing the song, I got this message from Rose Simpson, who I like hadn't heard from in years. And it was her and Cedar Rain singing this lullaby. And I was just like, wow, this is wild. Like I just wrote a song. I just got this song from, you know, this friend I haven't heard from in a long time. And I was so excited because I hadn't met Cedar Rain. And I was just like, wow, this this lullaby is so beautiful. Like, I love it so much. And I, the song that I had written was kind of intense. And I remember thinking like, maybe I should try to write a song like this song that, you know, Rose had sent me. Like, it's so nice. It's so sweet. And like, maybe I'm not that good at writing songs. Like maybe the song that I made, like, isn't good, you know, like I shouldn't be making music. Like I went into the spiral and I was like listening to the song. I was just like, who made this song? Like it sounds so familiar. And then it hit me and I was like, oh my God, I made the song. I had made the song that Rose and Cedar Rain were singing. It was a lullaby that I had written like 10 years ago that I had completely forgotten about. And Rose had been singing it to Cedar Rain since they were a baby. And so I was just like in this, like, whoa, oh my gosh. Like it was such a beautiful like affirmation and piece of encouragement of me to keep going because I really was at a point where I was like, I don't think I'm good at this. And then it was like a very clear, like, oh, what you're comparing yourself to is actually what you already did. (laughs) So... Which is just wild, right? So that felt like a really important moment right there for that to happen. And also for it to come to Rose, which is someone that, you know, someone that I looked up to a lot and just respect a lot as an artist. And so, yeah, then I like, you know, I kept moving and then I eventually reached out to Ratskin Records, my label to be like, hey, I want to make an album. And that was really like that piece of accountability. That was really what was like, okay, I'm doing it having someone else, having another person there that's like, yes, we'll do this with you. And then, you know, they're not in the process of making the album, but they're like, we're going to be helping you put it out. And that's what really like kind of focused me last year where I was like, okay, I'm making an album. And I put my energy into finishing the songs, making new songs, putting the project together. It's a long story. It's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible. And I love that you are your greatest teacher and that we are as human beings, that we do incredible things and we shift into new spaces. And we have to remember all of those little points that created us to get us to this moment. And that's what friends are for and community is for to remind us like, Hey, you're also this, and you're also that. I just think it's so incredible that, um, that that journey took you full circle to remembering how brilliant you have always been and all that lightness and darkness that exists in you. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I've been following your practice for some time being your friend, but just reviewing your work, I've I've noticed that there's kind of, there's multiplicity that everything does feed into everything else in your practice. And it feels very much so like that's what has brought you to commit to making an album is that it's kind of referencing your entire creative life experience. Can you talk a little bit about the poetry and the language? Are you telling a story with this album? Like, what is it that you're trying to communicate to those who will listen? Mm. So I made a film called The Life Cycle of Rainbows, which grew out of my time in London when I moved there for grad school in 2019. And, you know, that film was around the cycle of life and death and rebirth. And it it's um, based on this uh, cosmogram from uh, Central Africa, the Bokongo cosmogram, which was foundational to basically like black American music and art. And, um, and uh, I mean, there's like a whole story there. I wrote a whole, wrote a whole dissertation about it, but I made songs. I scored the film and, um, and the film has my own music in it. It also has music from some disco songs made by Larry LeVan, the, the legendary DJ of the paradise garage Um and so that film is is like this conversation with this cycle of life and death and rebirth, but also like also can a conversation with like ancestors from the disco era also. So there is kind of like this larger story that is that the album is tied to. So so even the title of the album, Somewhere Over the Mystic Moon, it was like I wanted to, I was thinking about something that was also about cycles, these natural cycles, you know, somewhere over the rainbow you know, we all know from uh, The Wizard of Oz. Um, And then the life cycle of rainbows is, again, it's about like this cycle, uh, you know, of living and and dying, and also the relationship between our physical world and our spiritual world. So there's songs on the album that speak to that directly. Begin Again um, is one of them, which is a song about birth. It's kind of like, I think of it as a song for children, like written for a child. Um, there's Dark Symphony. That song to me is about death, like passing into this threshold into the afterlife, into the ancestral world in a very kind of precious and sacred way. Um, and then there's uh, Palaces of Pleasure, which is all about the sun and just love and kind of like joy and warmth and that's kind of I guess referencing like maturity like the sweetness and the goodness of life so there's that story and then there's two instrumental tracks also that are also from the film and then there's these other songs on the album which are more like the other songs are all love like songs about heartbreak interestingly enough which I think is something that happens to me like when I'm experiencing heartbreak a one way that I process it is through music. And it's not really something that I intend to do. Usually I just sit down at the keyboard and like I play a little note and I'm like, oh, wow, this is what's happening. Um, and so that comes out and about heartbreak, but also about just like, you know, the the changes in the, the yeah, the changes that we have in our heart, the ways that our heart, heart change, like that, eh, you know, the the way that you might, lose relationships or like relationships will shift and change and that kind of just like processing that so interestingly enough I feel like 
there's several songs in the album that kind of revolve around that, both in like a romantic sense, but also in a larger kind of like, this is who I was in this period of time. I'm, I've grown as a person. How do I reconcile that? So I really love songwriting. I love writing lyrics. I hope that people listen to the lyrics and appreciate them because it's definitely an important part of it. And um, I think ultimately, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of messages. There's honestly different kinds of sounds within the album and some of it is more like um, psychedelic or something like kind of looking at a phenomenon that happens in the world. And then some of it is more about things that are happening inside of myself. And I guess all of it ultimately is reflecting things that happen, you know, from inside me. How did song come into your life? Are your, are your parents artists? Did they gift you music as a kind of a tool in your kit? to use or was this something that you came across in your life through your own determination yeah my my parents are artists my mom is not musically inclined she loves music but like she just doesn't uh she doesn't make it my dad on the other hand definitely yes he was a drummer growing up um he played the djembe he was a west, he was in a west african drum and dance troupe and so i was around music a lot uh, with him and dance and singing and that was kind of like one package you know just around the dance company he would go out on the street and play for money um and we would just be like those little kids like sitting in the corner you know like so I was around like with him I was around music a lot also he has a beautiful singing voice and he doesn't sing that often but like I would hear little snippets of him him singing let's just like in the car like you know here and there never really singing full songs, but he does have a beautiful voice. And then, you know, growing up, I think that I, my parents both like listening to music. So I would listen to their, their records. And then as I got older, my dad remarried and my stepmom had her, her whole record collection that she brought. And that was amazing. Like I loved a lot of the music that she had listened to and that she had collected from when she was a kid. And really, I love singing my whole life. Like I was, I love singing. I love making up songs. I was definitely the child that was like always singing and dancing all the time, like everywhere we went. Um, my parents, I think like thought that it was kind of annoying, but they, I think they didn't really tell me that, like just like how annoying it was. Cause I would just be like in the house, like constantly kind of like singing it was just like me like it was just a constant thing like I just I was just expressing myself I guess you know and I like I I think I told you I wanted to be Diana Ross when I grew up which is kind of funny I guess like I I loved music but I really liked Motown I liked older music like I love Donny Hathaway I love older like soul music and Diana Ross, I was just like, wow, she's so cool because it was this girl band. They had these like moves that they would do. And I loved the songs and I thought her voice was so sweet. And, you know, I liked disco as a kid. I thought that was fun. So, yeah, I would think about it and be like, yeah, I want to definitely like if you asked me as a child what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like a singer. Like that was that was it. I was in choir in high school and I loved being in choir, although while I loved singing kind of like I was also very self-conscious especially as I got older like extremely self-conscious and so I was doing theater and I was doing performance but I like kind of hated it the entire time like I did it I liked it but I wasn't like on stage loving it 
living my best life, I was just like, I just want to, like, I, I can get through this kind of thing. Like I wanted to do a good job, but it was also really, it didn't feel like that enjoyable. And I didn't really think that like being a singer was like a viable thing to do as a career, you know, and I never learned to play an instrument um, or anything like that, but I always did love singing and that continued um, into my adulthood. I definitely remember you singing from like the first time I met you, (laughs) just always like having melody in your in your person, in your being, kind of carrying movement with you as well. And I keep coming back to the casual way you you talked about singing and pole dancing as if it's like just something that is natural for you and can happen simultaneously. I tried um, pole dancing with our our mutual friend, Ashley Say What. She, she gave me a couple lessons and it is a very intense, difficult skill. And I can't even imagine trying to like hold melody while you're doing that athletic act. And so can you talk about what that experience was like and w- when you decided to do it? I've never heard about it before. And so I feel like maybe you were one of the first people to create this duality and Maybe you don't agree. Maybe you have somebody you look up to, but I've never heard about this before. So I'd love to hear more. Well, I will say that I don't, I never pole danced and song at the same time. Oh, okay. Performance where I would like do the dance separately from the singing. So there's that. I did think about like, oh, what if I could sing on the pole? And I was like, that's too much. Like, <laughs> that's intense. On that pole. Like, I don't need to be doing all that. At that point, it's just me just like trying to like show off. And like, you know, I was <laughs> like, I, I have seen people sing on the trapeze before and that's cool. But also I'm just like, I think I, you know, with pole, I don't really pole dance anymore. But for a long time, it was like my instrument. It was my my personal practice I had a pole in my room and I would like I would just do that like I'd be like all right schedule the time three hours this weekend I'm pole dancing and it was very much like this improvisational kind of practice Um, obviously I was like studying and teaching myself tricks or going to classes I was also teaching I had classes that I was teaching for queer and trans people of color in Oakland out of my house and it was this this really like I was engaging with it kind of for seven years straight. It gave me a lot from everything from income, but also really just this somatic uh, practice, which I think was really important for me. I think that um, you know, people talk about the way that our body, you know, cell- cellular memory and, and the things that our body hold and I think that having this really sustained movement practice over years that was also kind of extreme I mean I think all movement practices actually can be extreme but I was doing acrobatics and aerial dance like there's this whole element of fear that comes in as well um so you're not only just working with your body but you're also working with your mind as well and Mm -hmm. like let you know the healing is happening through your body I really do think that that was kind of important for me to do and with the music I think it was because it was like you know the way that I thought about pole one of my students in one of my my classes once said that pole was a connection between heaven and earth and Mm -hmm. that struck me 
because I was like, yes, that is exactly how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it. When I went to the strip club when I was younger, before pole dancing was even a thing that you would do, there weren't pole studios. You had to go, you know, to strip clubs or you would learn because like you were a dancer, your friends were dancers. And that's how I learned pole dancing. And just this magic, honestly, of watching pole dancers of it being this really mesmerizing, beautiful art form that really did feel like it was channeling, you know, this divine power. And I'll, which I think also is just kind of the nature of like erotic eroticism or erotic expression. It's so much more than just like sex or like it really is, I think, this kind of like power a really beautiful kind of power so when I started making music you know when I made that first song with the pole this song like I really wanted to create something where I was expressing and connecting with my body in like a way that felt it was like this intimacy because this song was about love and heartbreak and then you have this this light projection that is like just these little dots of light, almost like a disco ball, but that reacts to my movement. So it's like these waves of light. And then the song is this really beautiful song. Like the element is definitely water. It's definitely the ocean, it's emotion. And so I wanted to create something where I was feeling it, but also other people were feeling it and getting these, let's say you're getting these senses visually, you're getting it through the, mo the movement and the embodiment, but also through the sound. And I do definitely think about that when I make music is just like how it's being received, the kind of effect that I want it to have, which I think, you know, also has to do with the way that I, I my background in movement and dance. And like I was creating work for people to watch and for people to, you know, you're creating worlds and containers for people to have an emotional experience. And I think that that's always been really important to me is thinking about the kind of experience that I want people to have when they're engaging with my work. Sounds to me like it really helped. And maybe I'm just reading into this, but was a catalyst for you to like get out of that uncomfortable space that you were talking about. There is so much, um, that you expressed around somatics and like loving your body and being able to like be in a space with an instrument like the pole that promotes self-love in a way that maybe I should ask this as a question. Did it, did it support you to like move through that space of uncomfortability? Yeah, I think that it did. And I think also, you know, a lot of that had to do with the community that I was in. Like I, I was living in the Bay area in very much, heavily just entrenched embedded within queer community there and that was such an affirming space I think that I felt yeah there's a lot of things moving through my body somatically of just like okay feeling confident in myself but even even then it's like I feel like actually I'm still unlocking that like I would say that I even, you know, looking back on my performances, sometimes there's times where I'm like, yes, I love this. This is great. I, I just had a performance this past year, New Year's, or not this past year, just not, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, New Year's um, 2023. Um, it was on New Year's Day. And I just was like, okay, let me just try to be really present and enjoy what I'm doing. And that's something that is, can be really hard for me, honestly, as a person, as a performer to 
because performance is so vulnerable. So I can be very controlled about, you know, what I'm doing. And it's not necessarily the control that's a problem, but it's like uh, this boundary between like actually being joyful in front of other people um, can be hard. So I think that it's something that I'm still working on. I'm still working through and still navigating that. And I'm not going to say that I, you know, all the years of performing, I've just been like hating it the whole time because I don't think that's true. But I do think that there's still a lot of levels and layers of unlocking, you know, what is performance? What does that even mean? You know, it's nerve wracking. It's anxiety producing. It's also really transformative. And, you know, I get a lot out of it. And I think it's not always just, you know, it's not, obviously it's not easy to be in that place, but it's not just like, oh, I feel great. I feel so empowered. I'm, you know, like, I'm amazing. It's also just like, wow, this is really real. I'm here. I One of the artists that are here was talking last night about um, they're a theater artist and they, as a kid, they were watching like tech rehearsal and they were like, oh my God, this is where real life is happening. And they were like, I'm going to become a theater artist because I want to be in real life. And thinking about that of like, what happens when we're making art? What happens when we're, you know, performing? In some ways it's like, yeah, this is real life. Like, this is like the, this is like what is actually important to us. It's like the heart and the power that is our life, that, that keeps us alive, that is our life. I like that you bring up the point that it's hard to share and express joy publicly because I feel like that's something as like femme bodies, we often like are taught not to share or express because it it condones like a silliness or a weakness or a playfulness that undermines that creative genius that um, often I feel like femme bodies aren't always afforded. And Can you reflect on like what it might feel like to you to like have that fear of expressing joy or experiencing joy while you're performing? I feel like honestly what it is, is just like, I don't know if it's even joy and maybe it's the same thing, but it's kind of like power, Mm. like being willing to fully embrace the power that I have in that time and place. It's, It's like you're navigating this thing. Um, And that is definitely, you know, if you're thinking of like a femme person, like the way that we're, you know, conditioned to think about, you know, how we look to other people, how other people see us, you know, and like trying to even like understand how we see ourselves, like who we are to ourselves, like what is our own power, like what is your own desire, what is your own um, feelings. And what's amazing, I think about like the body is the body has so many clues like that the body is really the guide for that for me at least of just like telling me you know there's a lot of information there that can kind of get to the heart of like how I actually feel about something in terms of like expressing joy okay expressing joy in in public I think it's also just like being empowered in public because it's also vulnerable like you know just thinking about like how you were teased in in middle school like how people you know just like will tear you down for like who you are, what you look like, how you act, like all these things. So then to go, you know, to go out there and be like, hey, I have this idea. I wrote this song. I wrote this play. I made this character. I'm going to be out here. I'm going to do it and have people watch you. I definitely was like really not a cool kid growing up. Like I said, I'm like very self-conscious. And so I think it took me, 
you know, it wasn't into my adulthood where I was like, oh, I'm a, like, maybe the problem wasn't me. It was maybe like the environment that I was in, the people that I was around, maybe just being a kid, you know, like kids aren't, you know, always great to each other. I think, you know, it's kind of this lifelong journey, I think for me of kind of like, okay, getting comfortable, you know, in myself, you know, learning more about myself, how to be a good person in the world, how to like uh, share with other people and to be vulnerable in a way that feels healthy. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, being an artist can be a way to have control over how people see you and how people perceive you. Absolutely. There's so much control that goes into that. Um, You know, you're controlling your image, you're controlling the sound, you're controlling, you know, if you're thinking about making music, you're like, it depends on who you are and how you make it, but there can be so much control that goes into that. While at the same time, for me to feel like I'm making things that feel valuable, that means that I'm making something that like felt transformative to me in some way, or that I hope is going to be transformative in some way. So that also means that there's this element of spirit, magic, truth, vulnerability within that. So, um, yeah. It's making me think about your artist statement and maybe digging in a little bit to some of the conceptual approach that maybe allows you and affords you that space of vulnerability. And in the opening of your artist statement on your website, you quote D. Scott Miller's Afro-Surrealist Manifesto, which states, Afro-Surreal resupposes that beyond this visible world, there is an invisible world striving to manifest, and it is our job to uncover it. So can you explain how this statement guides your practice and expand upon what Afro-surrealism may mean to you at this time? Yeah, I, you know, when I found that manifesto, I think it was really, I was like, oh my God, because I was reading this thing where I was like, this is like all the things I've been thinking about and talking about with my friends and my peers and my collaborators for so long of a lot of the points that he hits in that manifesto is about like, you know, kind of like leaning into your intuition, acknowledging that there is other worlds that we're interacting with, specifically ancestors, spirit, and that, you know, those things are help, you know, can be here to help us just like move forward as individuals, as communities, and are are like a vital part of our existence really and also that art making is a way to be in communication with these things that you know we might not be able to see physically sometimes you know certain people can but um that we feel and I think for me as an artist a lot of my work has been driven with this conversation with ancestry conversation with spirit when I write music like it's me opening up to the that collaborative force which really is like all the unseen. And so it's patience. It's a lot of listening, you know, like things take time. And like in that I learn about myself, I grow as a person and I believe is a way for me to kind of honor, you know, spirit, to honor ancestors and to keep that connection alive because I think it is really vital. And I think that there's so many ways that that connection is maintains through art that like 
sometimes we are not even aware of, but that is actually really important. You know, it's like, why is music so important to us? Like, why is it, why does it help our spirit? You know, like it's, it's necessary. We're bodies and we're also spirits. Um, and maybe break down what Afro-surrealism is, maybe the lineage for those of us listening who might not have direct relationship to it. Yeah. Okay. So I'll do my best. And I feel like I'm like, Ooh, I wish I had the manifesto in front of me so I could like really go into it. I think what I love about Afro surrealism is that it really is talking about what's happening here and now, and that in here and now we're connected to past, present, future. We're connected, we're connected to spirit, you know, like there are these, there are worlds and entities that we don't see that are that are operating. Whereas Afrofuturism, I think, is a lot about like technology and kind of like looking forward into the future. The future being something that could exist in the past and the present, but like it's very much like I feel like there's this part about technology and evolving, I guess, through technology. But for me, like Afro-surrealism is very much about like, yeah, kind of like that intangible, invisible force that exists in nature that exists in uh our bodies and yeah so there's like basically the manifesto has I think like 10 points or something about you know different ways that people kind of like are you know like what afro-surrealism is for me I was you know I'm really interested in um I mean the reason the whole reason why I got into acrobatic and aerial arts was because I was like oh this is an art form that I can use to embody these things that are unseen, whether that's like spirit or that's, uh, you know, just like concepts, entities, uh, worlds, and that, you know, like, you know, shape-shifting, you know, through the body. And I think a lot of my practice is kind of, you know, it's very intuitive. I tend to lead with my intuition when I'm working and then comes like kind of like more like I guess, like rigorous, maybe like scientific work once I have like a concept, even like intuitively, like, okay, I want to make an album or I'm going to make a song, you know, like it really does start from often it's like, it is a meditative kind of space um, when I'm creating. And it is, it's like, it's a way for me to connect to like a power that is beyond myself, which feels really special and important. And I think, you know, I think a part of that also, I was thinking about how that has to do with my identity too. I think, you know, as a mixed race person, as, as a person that's queer, I think, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, why am I so interested in like this invisible world, you know? And I think from a, from, from when I was really young, like I had really, like my dream world was really vibrant and I always would you know, remember my dreams. And I would always talk, I would tell, you know, my parents then when I woke up and I would also see a lot of things as a child, like in, in the dark, like I was really afraid of the dark, but it was, it was because I was like seeing a lot of stuff that I didn't really know like what to do with or like how to handle. And so I think that, you know, I didn't always really feel like I fit in or even if I did feel like I fit in like I I think that I didn't always really know what it meant to to have like connections you know with peers that felt like genuine or felt real or 
felt like I was actually, you know, seen, I think as a child. And so I think for me is like, I really kind of developed a really big, like inner world. And also, you know, a lot of me like coming into my adulthood was also like coming into my own spiritual practice and like coming into my identity was like parallel to like coming into a spiritual practice where I was really learning a lot about specifically like African, like West African, Central African spiritual practices and, you know, like different kinds of like gods and just like the structure, the spiritual structure that then I could like start to understand the world through, start to be able to identify, you know, things that I was seeing, things that I was understanding. And also as a way for me, like, I think connecting to other artists as well through their own spiritual practices, learning from them, you know, kind of what's that knowledge that they have, you know, what's the knowledge that I have that I carry, you know, through my own ancestry. Yeah. So I would say that like, Spiritual practice is a big part of my life and and it's very much connected to my creative practice. And then, and so that's kind of like that invisible world, but it, I think also for me has been a safe space for me where I feel like I can actually be myself. I can actually feel like I'm held, like I'm cared for, that I'm seen um, because, you know, I didn't always have that growing up. And even now, sometimes it can be hard for me. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I don't know how to be in this world all the time but you know in nature at my altar that's a place where I'm like I can be exactly what I need to be there Mm, that's beautiful and it's making me think about ideas that you might want to share with other artists other young queer BIPOC folks who are trying to navigate this invisible space and like how to find that kind of superpower within it. And is there any kind of seeds of knowledge or passing down that you could give maybe that someone gave to you or that you've cultivated yourself? Well, you know, everybody's obviously everybody's experience and journey is different. And I think that's really important is to trust yourself and to trust your own kind of you know experience trust how you feel about things you know and that's a lifelong process really I feel like of like being able to to trust how you feel about things and sometimes that can that can turn out great and sometimes it can not turn out great and also it's okay to like ask for help it's okay to like talk to you know have talk to your friends or talk to people that you trust I, I think that you know, if you're feeling like, you know, you just don't belong or like you don't, there's no hope for you in this world or something, it might be that you're just in a place or that you're with people or you're in a job or something that just isn't the right thing for you. But there absolutely is, you know, always somewhere for you in this world that you do belong. I think that that's absolutely true. You know, there are people that you know, can be your people. There's things that, you know, are for you. You know, we all deserve to be here on this earth. Um, And we all belong here, regardless of how we might feel about ourselves sometimes. So I think remembering that and just like, you know, knowing that you do deserve to be here, uh, I think is important. And I remember when I was, you know, when I was like 18, I went to go talk to a family friend. It was like one of my dad's best friends growing up. 
I was interviewing him about, we were doing this project around gentrification and, you know, I was kind of asking him, you know, how he had managed to stay in this neighborhood that was, you know, being gentrified in Seattle. He's an amazing black artist. I remember growing up, just like looking up to him a lot. Cause he was just so far out, like very eccentric, very like, like he was doing his own thing in a way that I did not see anyone else doing. And I remember he just said, he was like, I'm here because I chose to be here. And I think that that's like a slippery slope because I feel like people have these things, like people will say like, oh, you know, if things aren't going well, it's because like you're, you're, you're the problem essentially, which I'm like, nah, you know, like we live in this world where uh, there's a lot that is, um, you know, pitched against us. You know, there's a lot that has been taken from us. So I, I actually don't believe in that, but something he said to me that really struck me, he was like, you know, you are the center of your own universe. And he kind of explained it to me in this way. He was just like, you see everything through your own body, like everything that you're perceiving, you're perceiving like through yourself, through your physical body. And they're like, you're always at the center of everything, you know, like no matter where you are in space, you're the center of it. And so in this way of kind of like, I guess, centering yourself, but not in a way that like, is all about ego or is shallow, but just like the simple fact that, you know, the way that we are in this world is pretty miraculous. And, um, you know, we are perceiving everything through ourselves. And so like, it's up to us to really like work with that, to feel things, to, to follow our hearts. You know, our hearts are important. You know, we deserve to be happy. Our wellness is important. Um, I guess the other thing I might say is just like, in terms of like looking at your like spiritual practice, I think sometimes it can be kind of scary because you're like, Ooh, you know, like, what, am I going to be talking to ghosts or something? You know, like, what is this? You know, I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but I think for me, like, I guess something that I really hold on to is that I don't really believe, you know, like I might believe in like uh, negative energy or things like that, but like, ultimately I'm like, I'm not trying to be out here paranoid thinking that like there's things that are out here trying to get me and that I am powerless. And like, if I don't do the right thing, then like things I'm going to be cursed or hexed or whatever. I'm like, no, like I'm not even like, and I think that like that kind of like thinking can sometimes be like a, just another form of control. Yeah. I just like, just trust that life is good and you deserve to be happy. And that's not easy. But uh, it's possible, I think. <laughs> I love that. I mean, yes. I also really love the golden filter, the the fact that everything goes through us and is interpreted through us as individuals. No two people's experience, even if they have the exact same set of standards, is the same because we're all so intricate and unique and different. So I really like that kind of constant reminder and mindfulness that we can bring into our lives and our practice because we're we're just so different but we're also so connected too and that's the other thing as well it's like we're also like holding each other mm -hmm. you know experience which is really special you know it's like we're we're holding yeah we're like holding each other like I you know it's like even think about you Ginger like we don't talk that often but I think about you all the time literally oh same you know, sometimes I'm like, what would Ginger do in this situation? You know, like, 
like, you know, and I think that's so important too, is just to like have people that, you know, you don't always have to be like in constant communication with people, but there is, you know, a power that people have, uh, you know, like people say about how people reflect certain things, but mm-hmm. yeah, just the lessons, you know, that we're able to learn from one another. Um, yeah. I think about that too, especially with our very beautiful group of friends that like intersect, especially for you and me, like we have really intersecting friendships from multiple spaces. And I, I do always think about you too, because you come up in conversation and energetically through creative practice. And I just feel very connected to you as a kindred spirit, even though we don't get to see each other, even talk yearly. (laughs) I know you're there and you inspire me continuously. And I think that that is something that I always try to advocate for people to call in is those kind of friends who lift you up without even being present. You know, it's like, you know, that they have your back and they're on this planet with you at the same time, moving some energy through. And I definitely feel that way about you as well, India. Thank you. I wanted to kind of um, end our conversation with asking you, and I should have maybe prepped you or prompted you, but I've been trying to like draw out some writings or publications or music, or maybe if you could like name off a few things that you look to for inspiration right now that have been feeding you and nourishing you that you could give as an offering, uh, books or podcasts or, um, records. Okay, cool. Yeah. Let me think on that for a second. So I'm in the process of writing a screenplay and there's this book that, Devin recommended to me um creative genius no it's called story genius mind you I haven't read the whole book so I can't fully recommend it but I was just like oh my gosh this is making it clear for me how do you like write compelling like stories because it's about the brain science of writing a story and for me you know I was like I want to write a screenplay but I want it you know I think what I like about it is they're talking about how like if you don't know who your protagonist is and you don't know why, you know, is that they're doing what they're doing, then the story is going to drive them instead of them driving the story. And I was like, that's like real life. Like life can drive you. And I feel like I've been in situations where life has driven me so much. Anyways, I think it's helpful to think about, um, it's already teaching me some things. I'm not quite sure yet, but I just started. Story genius. Is that what you said it was called? Story genius. Yeah. And outside of that, I'm trying to think of like any music that um, is inspiring to me. Well, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing is like, um, oh, I was just in Oakland performing and there's this performer, Bomb Snacks, who I saw perform and she's so cool. Like she had this whole like, it was like a performance art piece. It was amazing. I was so impressed. So people should look her up. I think like the music scene in art in Oakland is so cool. There's like a really a lot of like incredible artists, incredible queer artists. There's also a lot of like amazing black femmes just like making really cool stuff. And like, and it feels like a space that that doesn't always happen in music scenes. I feel like oftentimes it can be very like male dominated, very masculine, which I just like don't know what to do with that. So I was really grateful to be there. I'm always just like, I don't know how to, like, I'm like, mm, this just isn't working. It's like, I just never have been that 
like that. So, um, and my, my number one Bay Area inspiration, spelling, incredible. Um, she's blown up a lot in the last couple of years. People should definitely listen to her. Her imagination is incredible. Um, I feel very like resonant with so much that she does. And um, so there's this book that kind of breaks down and explains the book Congo Cosmogram that was really helpful for me. Um, it is called African Cosmology of the Bantu Congo. And um, this is written by a scholar who I believe is from the Congo, kind of talking about the cosmogram. But then like, if you, if you just look into it more, um, just seeing like how the cosmogram was kind of a foundational, it was a foundational structure in ritual um, that laid the foundation for Black American music. It's pretty incredible once you start looking into it. And I, I first like came across it, but there was this book on altars, African altars by Robert Ferris Thompson, Thompson who's like a pretty prominent um, scholar who talks about like uh, different kind of like African spiritual practices. Um, and he has some great books like Flash of the Spirit is really amazing. That book, I think, really opened up a lot for me. But that was also coupled with Going to Mali. That book is great. Jambalaya by Louisa Tish is a great book. And that is talking about African spiritual practices, but also like Black American spiritual practices. Um, it's a really good reference and then another book that I was reading last year a lot I got really into the moon which like uh you know I is always there mm -hmm. and um but it was really amazing because it was really helpful for me because I started this moon journal where I would write um in it every full moon and every new moon so pr pretty much every two weeks as a way to set intentions and kind of um, reflect on what was going on in my life. And then I got this book called The Moon Book by Sarah Faith Gottsteiner, which I thought was really great. And it just like has a lot of kind of like ways to use the, the moon as a way to like set intentions. But she talks about like, okay, you're setting intentions, but like setting intentions is not like this magic thing that you're like, I set the intention, it just happens. It's like, no, you have to do the work, but using the moon as a way to kind of, uh, it's like almost like an accountability mechanism. Um, and one that's tied to these, you know, the cycle of time that's happening in the sky that's affecting our bodies, affecting, you know, the tides, affecting cycles of nature you know it's part of cycles of nature so I feel like that has been like a really nice like very clear way for me to kind of engage in a practice like that also like helps me with achieving goals and also as a way for me to reflect on like how am I feeling how am I doing what happened you know a year six months ago you know like how have things shifted and changed since then yeah. So those are some recommendations. I love that. And thanks for the reminder about the moon. You know, I think it's, it's definitely something that if we tune into, it can really be that accountability buddy that you said. <laughs> I love that. 
I've never heard that kind of contextualized. So <laughs> I'm like, the yeah. moon is my accountability buddy for sure. Yeah, definitely. And like sometimes I fall off. Like, um, but I do love, I love what it's just amazing that we have this thing that just like going through these cycles all the time. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, to end, let's just give one more shout out to Somewhere Over the Mystic Moon, which is your new album dropping on February 5th on Ratskin Records, right? Definitely. Shout out Ratskin. Also, what I'll say is that there actually are two singles out on the album already, so you can listen to them. Yeah, so the latest one is called Breakdown. That came out um, about a month ago. Um, So... And while while we're leading up to the album, there are some there is some music to listen to. Um, mm, yeah, I was I was doing my morning um, stretch routine to it on repeat just to like oh. get <laughs> pumped up for this call. And it's such a beautiful song. Yeah, please everybody go listen right now. <laughs> thank you, India. I'm just really grateful for your friendship and thank you for being on the project. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope that I can make it out to New Mexico sometime. Mm-hmm. But I'll definitely come say hello when I do. Yeah, please do. And keep me posted on where the music takes you. You know, if you need any support with like touring or just brainstorming and all that stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I would love to talk to you, honestly, because I haven't even thought about it. I would love to perform. Like I was even, I was like, I just had the performance in, in Oakland or in Berkeley and I had backup singers, which was such a dream. I loved it so much. And I was like, oh my God, I want to work with a band because right now it's just me. Mm-hmm. And I, part of the work I'm going to do here is start to like figure out how to play the music live because it's just like backing tracks. And I'm like, no, this needs to be more live. Anyways, I want to perform. I want to, I would love to go on tour. I'd love to do so much. So maybe we can book a session or something and um, yeah, talk about brainstorming. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm so, I love brainstorming and nerding out about music and dreaming and figuring out how to do stuff in real time. (laughs) I've been there. Yes, for (laughs) sure. Oh, well, so much love India and enjoy it up there. You say hi to everybody. I will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.
It is time, it is time, we're at the rainbow game.